The Priestess and the Cauldron, a podcast featuring Elvira Love and Phoenix Le Fay, two out-of-the-room-closet professional witches with over 70 years' combined experience of making magic. This is a show on the LMC Radio Network. During each show, Elvira and Phoenix will help you create rituals, make spells, make potions, and much more besides. They'll spend time speaking about different goddesses from all over the world, paying attention to the ancient reverence of long-ago cultures and infusing it with a modern perspective. Elvira, Phoenix, take it away. are taking it away, far, far away. <laughs> well, here we are. <sighs> Another week. Here we go again. Yes. Are we all jazzed for Beltane? No. <laughs> all right. <laughs> no, I love Beltane, and I was actually feeling bummed out last night because I, uh, my local reclaiming community, mm-hmm. putting on a public ritual on Sunday. And I will be at Milk and Honey on Sunday, which oh, I love to be at Milk and Honey, yeah. don't get me wrong, but there were some lovely ladies in the shop last night at a workshop, and they were all telling me that they were going to the ritual. Film bombed, everyone's going without me. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, well, I understand that. I yeah. do. It's kind of a feeling left out. Yeah. Yeah. So... Well, I mean, obviously the question most asked on every Friday is, what was our week like? Yes. So what was your week like? Well, Elvira, my week was just peachy. <laughs> um, I don't really remember my week, and I think I say that every week. You do say that every I don't week. I remember. I'm such, I just live in the moment. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Goddess. Uh, well, I went to the gem show today. I saw that. Actually, I, I ran yeah. into the store, and I saw a bunch of beautiful yeah. things. It was fun. I went a little bit over budget. Whoops. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, the, the highlight of the gem fair today was this freaking amazing Mm-hmm. Kwanian statue. She's probably a foot and a half tall, white porcelain, and she was just gorgeous. And I got an amazingly beautiful deal on this statue. And I brought her to the shop, and I went to show one of the girls that works for me. And I, I opened the box, and I stand her upright on our counter, mm-hmm. and I said, "Look at this beautiful statue. She's so gorgeous. She's very um, Chinese mm-hmm. Kwanian looking, mm-hmm. you know." Mm-hmm. And uh, and as I stand her upright. She has she's what has the the cup of compassion right. you know, tipping mm-hmm. for those clients mm-hmm. where the cup is tipping. Mm-hmm. And then there's a dragon wrapped around her with its mouth open right underneath the cup. Right. And as I tip the statue set to stand upright, water starts dripping out of the cup oh my into gosh. the mouth of the dragon. <gasps> and it does it for like a half an hour. Oh my god. And then as I start to explore this statue, I realize it's supposed to do that. There's actually a little reservoir oh my goodness. in the statue where you can put water and have it be a, a dripping. Right. But I didn't know that when I bought it. And the woman I bought it from didn't tell me. And it wasn't doing that at the gem fair. Oh my there goodness. wasn't water in it. I swear. It was like a freaking <laughs> miracle. I felt like I was witnessing like when people see Mary in Toast. Like, right. That's what I thought right. was happening. Right. Oh it my was goodness. amazing. So I, I just feel so blessed and now I'm kind of Sad to have her be for sale. And want to keep her. But yeah, so that was that's, that is the cup of compassion being beautiful. brought forth. Yes, it was beautiful, and it was. Uh, there was a woman in the shop right at that moment, whose mother is transitioning right now, and she was on her way to go and be with her mother as mm-hmm. she passes. And mm-hmm. it was like all of us, our hearts were just blown. Oh, wow! Open, and it was a beautiful moment. And you know, that Kwan Yin man. Hey, you know that is that is a really blessed event, and I think at this point in time, for that moment, that yeah. was beautiful, yeah. beautiful. So that's my week. Thank you, Kwan Yin. How no are you kidding. doing? Well, you know, I'm going to tell you that Mercury retrograde sucks. <laughs> um, it's funny because having been born on a Mercury retrograde, and for many many years, I didn't really think about that, and I was always getting all hysterical about Mercury retrogrades. Yeah. And then somebody, you know, pointed out when they did my astrology, well, born on a Mercury retrograde, and I'm like, oh, I'll make friends with it. Right. So, you know, that made me feel really kind of like trying to shift. And I've been able to do most of that until 
This Mercury retrograde. Mm-hmm. This Mercury retrograde. Still Mercury retrograde. Yeah, it's just not exactly my, you know, favorite moment in time. Yeah. And I know we've got only a week left, right. but in two weeks it has done some real interesting mm-hmm. turns and twists. There's other things in retrograde too, so maybe that's why. Like the Saturn and Saturn is Pluto retrograde, or, and Pluto is retrograde, you know. and oh, by the way, Jupiter's retrograde. So, and that's yeah. also the ruler of my sun signs. So obviously I feel a little picked on, but I think I'll survive. But it's taught me how to maybe revision some things when the frustration level uh, got up. I was explaining that to you when you came in about some cash flow stuff that, you know, came up that I had to take care of. And I'd had some cash set aside for something else. And I was really devastated about the fact that I had to have some more money go out and where was Mm -hmm. I going to find it. And then I kind of looked at this other money and I kind of did this big, huge sigh. And the thing that I found that I'm feeling better about actually and the second time I talk about it, I feel even better, is that when I looked at it, it was like, well, thank you for having it here to be able to do what I needed to do, yeah. even if it's not going to be what I wanted it for. Right. So there's a lot of gratitude for that. So that kind of, again. At the Milk and Honey, we have a bumper sticker that says, Oh, great, another learning moment. Yes. <laughs> that one I would probably stick on my head. Yeah, exactly. You know, where does a bandana? Yeah. But um, other than that, you know, it's been clients are sad because things are, are again, yeah. same things are, are going on. All the things coming out of the Venus retrograde oh. and into these other ones. Yeah. A lot oh. of romantic upheaval. Yeah. So other than that, but, you know, I look at, um, all things as they are, and I'm happy that, you know, I'm here and my air conditioning is working in my house, maybe not my car, but, you know. Out of the shop. And I heard that, too. I didn't realize that. Oh, good. I know. Yeah. So, anyhow, with all of that excitement, we are now with Beltane. And, of course, we all think of this as, as, like, the super sexy one. Yeah. And I think that it is true, it is. Sure. But I also see many other levels of it. Sure. So we'll probably delve into that. Yeah. I And I must admit, maybe this is a little, oh, I don't know, whatever. Judge me, people. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I, get, I have sensitive feelings about uh, how sex positive we're expected to be. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this. There's this thing about pagans being more okay with sexuality and the ranges of sexuality than other religions, and sometimes, and I agree. Like I'm, I want to be great with sexuality. It's an amazing thing. It's, mm-hmm. it's a beautiful energy. It's part of being human. It's mm-hmm. awesome. Have sex with all of the peoples and all of the styles. And right. Whatever. Uh, but sometimes I feel like, do we really have to like have this? in our faces all the time and it comes to Beltane and sometimes people really want to over sexualize it mm-hmm. and for other people who may have a lot of stuff around being triggered around sexuality mm-hmm. or have abuse in their past or they don't want to see everyone's genitals dancing mm-hmm. about at a public ritual it can be a re- actual a really difficult time right we think of Samhain as that dark and heavy ritual where we process all of our sadness mm-hmm. but Beltane can be really freaking triggering yes and I think it's important to remember that not we are sex positive generally, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. So like that's a thing about being pagan. That's mm-hmm. beautiful. But we also need to be careful of not uh, ostracizing people or isolating people or bringing up things that are difficult and hard that they're not ready to deal with. Right, right. And it, it's really, it's, it is true. Um, it's very interesting to see, you know, as we have, done our work and looked at at, uh, what we are going to bring to the table for information, it's also feelings about this time. And I think my feelings are I'm not in a partnership, um, and (laughs) obviously uh, that isn't to say I don't want to be. It's just I'm not interested at the time to just go out and run around and, you know, throw my legs open and do whatever it is and whatever that is. Um, And it just seems rather amazing that I would, you know, we were just having a a joke. We were talking about yoga, actually, and something came up. And, you know, I love yoga, and yoga is, to me, uh, a way of 
of being, and I think of all the positions we put ourselves in in that and what it would look like, you know, if we were doing that out of context (laughs) in terms of that. I mean, downward-facing dog, now come on, you know. So we're looking at the same thing here with Beltane. I think that out of context, it's run frolic and have no concern about what you're doing. Right. But in context, it's part of a rhythm of yes. life. Yes. And whether you're partnered or not, it's part of a rhythm. Right. And I think that is what, for me, I take with it on this right. particular. So and if you're interested in being sexual or not, it's part of that rhythm. Yes. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. But where do we want to start? There's just so much. Well, maybe we start with the be- believed origins. Okay, we can go with believed origins. Right. I think we can handle so that. The, and I've no, I'm noticing the more we do our radio shows, um, the more I'm seeing how Eurocentric some of mainstream paganism and mm-hmm. Wicca mm-hmm. really is, mm-hmm. and I, I'm fascinated by it. Um, I guess I always knew that on some level, but now it feels really obvious. Right. And, for you know, for some respects that's great, whatever, it's fine, because we have record Mm-hmm. But I'm interested in expanding my view of that, and, and as a pagan, how can we expand our views of that? Anyway, blah blah mm-hmm. blah. Here we go with Beltane, which is uber Celtic, uber yes. right. Most of our festivals, our pagan festivals, come from Norse festivals or Celtic festivals, mm-hmm. and this is one of the main fire holidays of the Celts. It is, uh, and so there we have it. <laughs> That was pretty succinct. Do we stop our radio show on that one? And, uh, no. no. Uh, and there is a lot of information out there historically mm-hmm. that connects May 1st or April 30th to Germany in a different way, which we'll probably come back around to. Mm-hmm. Uh, Deutschland, that whole area, mm-hmm. right? They have that the Walpurschnock. Yes. Yeah. And then more of the Beltane is Scotland and Ireland. Uh-huh. And Ireland is this like special jewel because they were the last of the Celtic regions to be colonized uh-huh. by the Christians, right? Uh-huh. If that's the right word. So there is written record from Ireland that is much more accurate probably uh-huh. Uh-huh. than what we might find in other regions. Uh-huh. So a lot of what we're getting and what's used in mainstream celebrations nowadays comes from Ireland. Right. In early Irish literature. Right. Yeah. And I also will promote the Italian. Mm-hmm. Since, you know, we have a Sicilian here in Strega, but um, their basic uh, goddess for this time was Flora. So mm-hmm. Florilia was the um, was the goddess or the festival on this time frame. And then, and then again, the Stregas are Tana, Tana's Day, T-A-N-A, and so that is another. Uh, version of the same kind of May 1st, April 30th kind of time frame in terms of that. So even in the Italian area, we have that. So you can kind of see where Italy and Spain and these people and then up into, you know, northern. Well, the Iberian Iberian. uh, is where it's believed the Celts originated from. So there's all, all of that. There's bleed and crossover and mm-hmm. all, and, and this is the midway point between the equinox and the solstice. Right. So it's a cross quarter. There, this is the the point that marks the transition. No longer are we gaining towards summer. We're now in the the downward Down, yeah. towards summer. Right. 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 So in many of these traditions, this was the actually the beginning of spring. We mm-hmm. say that at the spring equinox. I know. But this is really when shit starts to happen. Yeah. Stuff is blooming, and if you think about northern scotland it would definitely because of how far north they are exactly yes right so this is when we start to see energy movement Mm -hmm. spring buds bees blossoms all of those things that are so beautiful Mm -hmm. and of course they make you feel all romantic plus you've been cooped up in the long house with your whole clan for months and months smelly smelly icky exactly yeah now you can get out and Air out your armpit. <laughs> and no wonder your crotch has to get open, right? Yeah. Air out everything. Right. Go out into the fields, have a fire to kill off all those bugs that have right. been growing on you. Which is interesting because, again, 
this is a time when the bonfire, because yes. it's a fire holiday. Right. And, fire and most of the big four, mm-hmm. Beltane, Lamas, Samhain, and Imbolc, were fire festivals. Right. Fire played an important role in all of these exactly. holidays. Exactly. Yeah. And what you would do, and, you know, so they would, in specific, they would go ahead and they would put out all the hearth fires in the the village, and there would be just one Beltane fire, and everyone would light from that. Right. And, of course, you know, the the concept of driving the cattle between the two fires, a two-set of bonfires, mm-hmm. was to smoke out all of the ickies, as we just talked about, right. and why jumping, the you know, through the smoke and everything was something that was, it was their fumigation. Right. And to, I want to... This just popped into my head. It feels important. Okay. For the in the Celtic system, we've talked about this before. They didn't look at the elements in a four exactly. like we do. They didn't look at the elements as earth, air, fire, and water mm-hmm. like modern paganism mm-hmm. does. It was land, sea, and sky. Right. Those were the elements of life, and then fire was something in between. Mm-hmm. Fire was the transition. Mm-hmm. Fire was the catalyst. Mm-hmm. Fire was the mover. Right. Fire was considered very, very sacred, mm-hmm. and it. The, all the elements were sacred, but fire was sacred in a different way. Right. And anything associated with fire, the ash, the smoke, mm-hmm. the actual flames, mm-hmm. all of that held uh, potent energy. Right. So they would use that smoke. They would drive all of their mm-hmm. livestock through that smoke mm-hmm. as a blessing mm-hmm. and a cleansing. Mm-hmm. They would marry people or put people who wanted to betroth to each mm-hmm. other, would go through the smoke mm-hmm. together mm-hmm. or leap over the flames mm-hmm. together. And those ashes were used. They were gathered right. and used in rituals throughout the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even the fire was set up. And this is something I did not know. Mm. I mean, I understood all of the concepts, but then it started talking about the fire and how it was set up in a nine, it was set up as a nine-piece square Mm. so that you have eight outside squares with the center one being the ninth, and they would dig literally the nine square, the eight squares out, and then the ninth one would be set there, and then they would set the fire with the kindling, and, of course, it was nine different woods. Right. That I knew. Yeah, that I knew, but the square I didn't. And um, it was fascinating because I was thinking about that, and it's kind of like, you know, one of the things that we have in a more esoteric magic Mm -hmm. are the magics of the squares. Mm -hmm. And that is something that, you know, when you think of going up into, you know, again, moving more from the heart and the physical, earthy-based process to the head. Yeah. They started utilizing that process. It was like, oh, I see where the connection is. Mm-hmm. Kind of like that. Another aha moment. <laughs> Before it was like somebody just decided they wanted to find a bunch of correspondences and they did all of right. that stuff. And, you know, I didn't have a connection where I could say, well, well, that makes sense if it's this. Right. So, but, yeah, the nine squares. Mm, interesting. Yes. So, um, but obviously we are on a rave, on a move so with that, we have our, our fire burning. We have our cattle we've pushed through. We've gone through it on that. And then what else do we do on? Oh, I want to say one more thing about the bonfire. Oh, yes. I had I, I did a lot of research on bonfires today for some reason. I don't know. It was exciting <laughs> to me. Maybe because I'm not going to the public ritual. Oh, that's sad. Uh, there is... There is a Sanos Cormiac. It's a medieval text. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also the Tokmark Emir. Mm-hmm. So sorry, I'm pronouncing that terribly. I'm sure, but it, you know, this was medieval texts written about how the the Druids were doing stuff, right. and it talks specifically about building these fires and mm-hmm. driving cattle through them to protect them from disease. But the quote is, "With great incantations, they drive the cattle between the fires." Mm. And I just imagine the drama mm-hmm. of cloaked druids shouting incantations and huge fires with smoke all over. Because you know, when you go cam- well, when I go camping, I attempt to make a pretty non-smoky fire. Of course, the smoke's freaking annoying. <laughs> but in this situation, you would want it to be uber smoky, right? So they right. they were putting things in the fire intentionally to make it smoky. Of course, potentially we could we could imagine mm-hmm. we could make up a story mm-hmm. that they were putting 
specific herbs in this fire. Oh boy, are right. we starting our own uh, our own version of a tradition? Well, it, I mean, it makes sense, right? Yes. Like if they're the druids, they're the healers, they're doing a cleansing. Why wouldn't they add shit to the fire? Uh-huh. Anyway. Just a, a fantasy idea. But I just imagine the drama of them shouting these incantations. Oh, yes. Huge flames, smoke, the cows kind of freaking out as they run through the middle of these. Because animals are naturally afraid of fire. Oh, well, yeah, that would be a general point of reference. Right. I just feel like this, and the whole village comes, and everyone's there, and everyone's happy, and there's flowers, and everyone's mm-hmm. care. Like, I just, mm-hmm. oh, I know. I want a time machine so I can go back. As long as we don't get stuck in it, because there are a lot of other things. That, yeah, I like you know, plumbing. I do like plumbing. I like our hygiene. You know, there's a whole lot of stuff I here. Like doctors. Yeah, I like doctors. Sometimes. Yeah, we were talking about that too before. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so obviously the the concept. Yeah. Again, is preparing for yeah summer. Right. Preparing you know, all spring, of course, is part of the blossoming. Right. And as you you did say, and it is true that technically the equinox is a different version of what spring beginning because this is the actual real start because of I'm sure the weather was still you know questionable yeah, absolutely between when the equinoxes and and Beltane mm. as we know it's sort of becoming that now here too yeah but. I think that now that we see that, oh, yeah, this is really the the time, then we obviously start to see people starting to move out of their huts and their longhouses and the places that they've stayed and and opening up and seeing. So that is part of it. And then, of course, we have different things that people do as part of the celebration right. that have, you know, many different ways of, of, of looking at it. So, obviously, we have the maypole. Yes. The giant pole. The giant I'll pole. I'll tell you what. I, <laughs> I have <laughs> been a part of a, of a ritual planning group for public ritual for many years. Mm-hmm. And there is one particular gentleman who has been a part of our ritual planning group for many years. And he is quite... Handy with carpentry, and mm-hmm. he's a excellent fix-it dude. Right? right. And he is in charge of our maypole every year. Wow. And I can't tell you, I really want to say his name because the joke is just not as good without saying his name, but I don't know that he would appreciate it. So I'm going to call him Joe. Okay. Uh, but I can't even tell you how many years we talk about Joe's pole and Joe bringing his pole to the ritual, and we're going to decorate Joe's pole. And the penis jokes never end around Beltane. Yeah. Never. Yeah. Truly. And that's what the maypole is. It is a giant phallus. Of course it is. Yes. Facility abounds. It does. It does. Yes. The idea of wrapping it, though, in those ribbons that, you know, yeah. if you really get down to just the visual, it's a pole, but if you think about an actual penis being wrapped in ribbon, yeah, it's, you pretty. Know, it's pretty kind of interesting. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's a beautiful pole and penis. <laughs> So, and obviously there are many things that that entails and what it represents. And some, and back to Attis and Sybil um, and the reason why they did, they would wrap it in a white cloth and then they would, you know, to to represent the, the mummification, the, the, the non-life yeah. before it is opened. And then it would, uh, the, the celebrants and the... Priests and priestesses would um, basically got a little bloody, but you know they'd open up their veins and throw some of the blood on it, so it would start to show life and sacrifice to it. And then, of course, then they would open the pole up and it would be resurrected. And then they would do their maypole dance, or more or less do the same thing. Right. But um, and I don't know if, in truth, that was something that the Celts did, but bleeding know, on it, bleeding on it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I have found a lot of. Conversation about that. No, I it's just, possible. Yeah, I just found that you know there was this one version over here, and that was more. I, uh, you know, again we're talking Attis and and Sibyl and, and more right. the the Roman right. reference, of course. You know, Romans and gladiators, I guess, bleeding, bleeding, yeah. whatever. Well, sacrifice, right? That's yeah, thing. that's a part of it. Oh, and in the chat room here we have someone, my old Christmas tree, 
time ago. That's I was just about to say that. Uh-huh. Like, that's a thing. Uh-huh. If we look at Yule and Yule celebrations and going out uh-huh. and finding this beautiful uh-huh. piece of nature and bringing it back, uh-huh. to that, it's the same festival. Yeah. It's just instead of going indoors, uh-huh. we're outside uh-huh. with a stripped-down version. Right. And we're adding our own adornments and making this giant symbol of fertility. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is so cool. Yeah. You know, so we obviously have, you know, obviously the maypole. We also have um, riding the pole, it's called, which is hobby horses. Oh, same, same more. It's dirty. Yes, it is. Dirty, dirty. Riding the pole is actually a, a way of describing going out in the field mm-hmm. And riding the pole, mm. you see, and that was another way of it. It wasn't, I think, as ancient. I think they sort of versioned it off when it got more into maybe Christianity. They kind of sure. changed how they talked about it sure. because they still kept celebrating it yeah. in the same way. And those poor priests were having a heck of a time. Yeah. So they yeah. changed the concept of it in terms of riding a. You know, having sex, they call it riding the pole. Well, there you go. I think that was rather interesting. Well, Along with Joe's pole. Right. Is Joe bringing his pole to the ritual? <laughs> anyway, I'm sure my, that group, because I'm not helping plan this spell team, I'm sure that they've made plenty of jokes about Joe's pole. Joe's pole. A later Elvira, I'll tell you who I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> After the show. Um, but this spell team... We, you know, we mentioned spring and finally coming out of doors mm-hmm. and being in the warmth and all mm-hmm. of that. But this is a fertility ritual. It is. It is about mm-hmm. that because what comes next is planting, harvest, worrying right. about making sure everything grows. And this was the beginning point of all of that. Right. Right. So that is why it's about fertility. Mm-hmm. We want our animals to be healthy. We want our plants to grow. We want healthy crops. We want all. We want healthy babies. Mm-hmm. And in order to do all of that, we have to have this. The ceremonial cleansing. Right. And we need to celebrate life and feel joyful and mm-hmm. dance and have merrymaking and <laughs> then go off into the fields and spread our seed, mm-hmm. literally. Literally. Right? And there are stories, and, and we don't know modern pagan-wise whether this they were whether people were pairing up and skipping off into the fields or not. Right. right. But that's what we believe now, and mm-hmm. that's sometimes what happens at Beltane Rituals is mm-hmm. couples going off or strangers meeting and going, hey, I'm yep. going to go off and yep. feel. And that being part of the fertility, right, it's sex magic adding to that mm-hmm. fertility, right? Mm-hmm. And that is where it can be interesting because there's more to fertility. There's more to celebration mm-hmm. than just intercourse. Right. Right. So, and and again, we're looking always at the different versions. I mean, you've got um, different ways of looking at it. When uh, you see the green man, mm-hmm. you know, this is another one, or Sununus, or Kernunus, actually, or you, you know, Pan. Mm-hmm. You have these these deities or these energy patterns that suddenly manifest themselves as the procreative energy, the male energy that is going to now respond, just right. like in the cycle, it's the, uh, where you have the, the holly king is slain by the oak king at right. this time. So right. you have that change over to virility. Right. And then, of course, we have this beautiful maiden fair who, as the goddess, she's in her maiden form, but now she is going to become more mother and more procreative in that. So this is that time where that takes right. place. Right where she becomes that sexual force. Mm-hmm. And, again, because of the timeline of where Wicca was born, mm-hmm. right, where in the early 1900s and the mid-1900s, and then when we get into the 60s and the sex- sexual revolution, right, we're talking about a very binary concept mm-hmm. of gender and sexuality. Mm-hmm. And modern paganism has shifted, and we are now recognizing a spectrum of genders, a mm-hmm. spectrum of sexuality, mm-hmm. and it, it's important to honor that at this time of the year. Again, fertility and all of, and abundance and all mm-hmm. of that doesn't just look one way. Exactly. Right? We want to honor all of those things. And again, we're talking about going back again. I love that phrase. Again, um, <laughs> the the cultures, the Roman culture specifically, mostly because it's been 
publicized and more. There was a lot more of the sexual orientation shifts than we talk about or that gets recorded or found in any other particular civilization. Um, And I think that there is where you start to see some of the areas that were doing this but then, again, change, you know, more, you know, shifting and putting it in under a blanket or a cover or something. Right. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> but anyway, that, that, that process, I see it as now we're, we're going back through another cycle where things are yes. opening back up again. Right. And we can see it for a broader base. Right. And I feel like... Um, this is just a way that I relate, so this uh-huh. may make absolutely no sense to anyone. But in the winter and in the, the round Yule and that time of the year, the energy for me, everything is always circular or a spiral, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. And it feels wide and slow. Uh-huh. And then in the summer, it feels faster and tighter. Uh-huh. And, and that, to me, there's something about heat and cold and, you know, mm-hmm. more daylight and less daylight, right. all of that. But it feels like there is this this speeding up, this heat, this right. movement that start, really starts around Beltane. And we get that peak at summer solstice traditionally, but depending on where you live, the peak looks different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we have a pretty long peak here in Northern California. Right, because we're also closer to the, equi- the equator. And, you know, there's a difference in how our uh, sun time mm-hmm. is versus... Canada, Scotland, right. you know, right. the the higher or Mexico, like, or Mexico yeah. and and yeah. of course we're talking again. This would be a a changeover. Is that northern hemisphere, southern hemisphere? Right, right. because it's we're going into Samhain-tide in the right. hemisphere, and, right, and honoring that balance of its sun and warmth and mm-hmm. prosperity and fertility and growth, but at the same time, at the same time, mm-hmm. on the other side of this planet. They are going within and looking at the beloved dead right. and remembering the other side and death and all of those transitions that come with it. Which presents us with the concepts of, again, light and dark. You know, it isn't just a duality, but it is a complement. Right. And I think most of us think of, you know, things in, in pairs, but I would say this is with one and the same. Yeah. It's just where you're standing. I'm sitting right now with light coming in, and I'm getting, you know, sunlight shown on me, but Phoenix is on a darker side of the table. (laughs) I know. I'm sorry. In a few minutes, I'm not going to be able to see anything because the sun's going to come right in. But uh, so we have that. So, you know, it's it's, the Celtic people were pastoral people, so they were very much a part of the land and that process. And that's something we always have to remember. I I remind people these thoughts in every workshop and class they teach. We are creating a modern celebration, a modern concept, and we're looking at it with a modern lens. Mm-hmm. They're based on ancient systems, older traditions from a completely different culture, even if you are 100% British. Right. Even if you were born in London and you've lived there your whole life. Mm-hmm. These traditions are are older, and we can't really fully comprehend them, Mm -hmm. not fully. Mm -hmm. And so we have to always remember that. We we are on electronics right now. We have a computer at our fingertips. I can go and go pee and flush all of that away and pretend Mm -hmm. it didn't exist. I have food at my fingertips all of the time. Right. And that's also part of being in a first world nation. Mm -hmm. But... We have to keep all that in mind when we look at these ancient celebrations. They're vastly different right. than what we can really understand. Right. And it, it comes to where we are, how we are. We were actually having a very big discussion before we start our show about being aware of the place we are and the land we're on and the cultures that were there or are there versus where our ancestry comes from and being disconnected from where we come from and trying to connect in other ways to something that we feel we're missing and we don't know how to. And I really feel we'll probably have a bigger discussion on another show about this, but it really was very much a part of what we're doing here because we're bringing 
something that comes from specific places at specific times with cultures that were different. And even though our heritage, some of us are from there, right? we are in a environment that is, as you Not say, that. so yeah. different. Yeah. That we should probably take a break. Okay, we will take a break, and then we'll talk about more ways to celebrate besides Joe's pole. Joe's pole. All right. You're right. <laughs> You're listening to The Witch, The Priestess, and The Cauldron, a radio podcast on the LMC Radio Network. Stay tuned as more magic is coming your way right after these messages. The LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include The Lucky Mojo Hooter Root Work Hour with Catherine Ironwood and Conjurman Ollie, Sundays 3 to 4.30, Candela's Corner with Candela Canvisa, Michael Carell, and Lady A, Mondays 5 to 7, the Crystal Silence League Hour with John St. Germain, Tuesdays 5 to 6. In the Streets with Beverly Smith, Tuesdays 6 to 7. On Sacred Ground with Kyar Mond and Paige Sapiru, Wednesdays 3 to 4.30. Fit and Foxy with Madame Nadia and Jaya Danya, Wednesdays 6 to 7. The Now You Know Show with Professor Charles Porterfield, Thursdays 6 to 7.30. The Witch, the Priestess, and the Cauldron with Elvira Love and Phoenix Le Fay, Fridays 6 to 7. And Liquid Libations with Andrea Weston, Saturdays 5 to 7. All times Pacific, add three hours for Eastern, sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. We're back, and that was a different commercial. Yeah, I think I've But that's okay, you got more information, so... Here we are. That was the right button. It's a new commercial. Well, hey, everybody. That was a new commercial. We had new things that I think they added for our shows. Yes, the Lucky Mojo Network, which we are our show is a part of, had mm-hmm. a new show added, which is called Fit and Foxy. And, well, Fit and Foxy, and we had a reboot of On Sacred Ground. On Sacred Ground. So, Madam Nadia and Jaya Udanya, I think is his last name, they, have fit, they do Fit and Foxy, but I can't remember what night it's on. But you just heard the commercial, so you know. Yes. And now On Sacred Ground is back on Wednesdays with yes. Kai Armand. There we are. So, yeah, we so that's why the commercial is a little bit longer. We were just noticing that it was a little longer, and we were thinking, uh-oh, what did we do? What? <laughs> anyway. Okay. Celebrating Beltane. Beltane. Well, um, what about <clears throat> the wells? You were talking about the wells. Well, again, we're talking about Beltane. We've pulled a lot of it from Celtic myth and specifically Irish, Mm -hmm. and wells are a huge thing in Irish culture, and they still are. They're everywhere Mm -hmm. um, in the countryside, and people decorate them Mm -hmm. at different times of the year and leave Mm -hmm. offerings there. There are spirits of different wells. Mm -hmm. Um, There are certain things that you do. Often people would visit the holy wells, the specific sacred ones Mm -hmm. on Beltane, and you walk in a sunwise circle around the well and you offer your blessings and you leave offerings and most often these are coins or mm-hmm. high, it's called cooties but it's basically little fabrics. Right. Any trees that may right. hang the well. I like cooties. Um, it makes me think of other cultures that use prayer flags like Native exactly. Americans. Make prayer flags. The Tibetans have prayer flags. Mm-hmm. Cooties are like the Celtic equivalent of prayer flags. Yes. Watch it. We'll start seeing cloth tied around everything. Oh, I love it. I think that would be very pretty. Yeah. So there. So. Uh, it's also there's a lot of thing of of things around water, and Beltane, right? There's uh-huh. a, it's, it's very potent magic to collect water on Beltane to collect the dew. Uh huh. Fall in on Beltane morning. If right. You collect the dew and put it on your face. It's supposed to keep you looking youthful. Oh my goodness. There's a tip from Miss Phoenix. <laughs> Wake up at the crack of dawn on Beltane. Go outside and rub your face in the grass. <laughs> you know, I my two dogs love doing this. They, they they will rub on the rug and rub, and if they were outside, they would be doing the same forever thing. Forever useful. And they're forever useful. I'm thinking, 
if I started doing that, my neighbors would start to really worry because being in a senior park, that might herald some major problems. <laughs> so, well. Well, you said something about skimming the wealth. Skimming the wealth. This is something that I found as part, again, it was talking about it in Ireland. So, obviously, this is something that, along with the other things we were talking about, Ireland seems to have more of the. Uh, things they have written and talked about than, say, other cultures. They've, mm-hmm. They're, like, more re- um, relevant. This is where you go to the wells of rich people, people who are wealthy. There's wells, and they would skim, take a, the water at the top of the, the uh, well mm-hmm. and take it home so that they would then prosper from the water that was from this wealthy person's well. Interesting. And I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, I like that. I think that's great. You know, we talk about different things, you know, rubbing against someone who's, you know, very, uh, how do we put it, uh, prosperous, you know. Let me rub elbows right. with you. you know, that kind of, Some of your luck can rub off yeah, of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think this is a similar consciousness, only more primitive and primordial by water. Right, right. So that was one of the things. And the other thing that I found interesting now, again, we're going to have a conversation here, is the May Bowl, B-O-W-L. Bowl. Bowl. And what that was was taking the blossoms mm-hmm. of woodruff, that's an herb or a, a plant, right. and putting it into a bowl and then putting uh, one to two bottles of wine, it was white wine is how it was described, with some strawberry wine. That is well, added. And just the mention of wine gives us an idea of timeline, right? Because mm-hmm. the ancient Celts before the Romans didn't have wine. Exactly. Yeah. So this tells you where it is in the traditional right. growth period here. And you take that and then you add some sugar, sweeten it. And then that is part of the celebratory uh, ingesting of these imbibing in, in the, the liquor of the time. So it it's more of what waffling was at Christmas, Yule. I think this is the other version for spring and, and the uh, Beltane. And right. Of so I was curious about Woodruff. Yes. Because right? I, know, I know a tiny, tiny little sliver about uh, herbs. So uh, you know, my first question is, well, what does it taste like? <laughs> and I said, well, it's used as a seasoning, so I have, I would say spicy. Is it poisonous? I, well, so it is poisonous. I had to look it up. So here we go. I am using the magic of the Google webs to tell me all about Woodruff. And apparently it's also known as sweetened bed straw. Mm. Gallium odoratum, the sweet-scented bed straw. Uh, it's native to Europe. Herbaceous, I love that word. <laughs> it's okay. herbaceous. It has cute little white flowers. It's often used in potpourri, so it must smell good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's often used in sweet things like punches, syrups for beer, jellies, ice cream. Mm-hmm. Delicious. Sounds sweet. In Germany, it's used to flavor sherbet power powder. Ooh. Okay. There so you go. So there we have it. It's a sweetening agent. Yes. So obviously, not only do we get our blossoms and our beauty and all of the nice, mm-hmm. but we get drunk. Well, yeah. I mean, really. What's the point of going to a religious ceremony if you don't get drunk? <laughs> <laughs> or very loose. <laughs> Depends. So, and of course, what we call Maying, is M-A-Y-I-N-G, is picnicking. Sure. You know, so they did maying out there. They would get all this juice and stuff, then they go out and maying. the fields. Sit in the fields, and, of course, what follows, follows. Yeah. But um, somewhere along the line, when I was younger, I had read that it was traditional to make mugwort wine for Beltane because hmm. mugwort is a – and who knows where I picked this little tidbit up. It's, this is, <laughs> yeah, this is 20 years ago. Okay. Okay. So all right. My, my memory – it's never going to nail down where that tidbit came from. But mugwort is an herb for uh, vision, yes. right? It can, yes. it's, and it can be slightly hallucinogenic, so you have to be very careful with it. But right. it brings dreams. It can help you see into the future. And, and often on the cross-quarter holidays, people do divination, mm-hmm. covens and mm-hmm. folks who work together. Mm-hmm. So my little... 
group at that time. There was five or six of us that regularly got together for ritual and holidays. Mm-hmm. So I was going to make this mugwort wine. Ooh. I've never done it before. Okay. And I got a bottle of, I think it was like probably some cheap white Zinfandel or, or red Zinfandel, like something. Pink. <laughs> pink. It was pink. Rosé. Rosé. Probably wasn't even a rosé. I know. Uh, and then I just put a ton of mugwort in it. Uh, if you've ever tasted mugwort, it's gross. It is bitter. It's better. Oh. And but we were, and, and to be totally honest, maybe this isn't suitable for all listeners, but really we wanted to get high. Like we were Fine. thinking, we'll use all this mugwort in wine and it'll kind of be psychedelic and it'll be fun. No. It tasted terrible. Mm-hmm. It did actually nothing to alter anyone's awesome. thing. Mm-hmm. And it just ended up being a gross drink that we all tried to force down our throats. <laughs> so there is a failed Beltane celebration. Yes, yes. Well, <laughs> totally understand that. You know, in in light of the things that we do to try and engender our vision, there are so many things that we they don't taste good. <laughs> they just don't taste good, and that's just we can leave it at that. But it will eventually do something about getting you into a vision. Yeah. Even well, and be careful. You know, I'm not, I definitely not encourage anyone to ingest herbs if they don't know what they're doing. Exactly. And, you know, that's one of the things <laughs> that in, in truth, you always have um, a control, someone who isn't doing it. Whenever you, even if you're doing shamanic work, you always have someone who is not part of the, the process but um, one of the things I did see is that there is a sigil for Beltane. And what it is, mm-hmm. is a tree of life with six-sided branches. Hmm. I know. I was kind of going, I didn't know we had a sigil for Beltane. That was more in the northern tradition, so more of the Nordic point of reference, the tree of life, yeah. you know, Yazidral and, and you know, yeah. that process. But I love that. I, I was talking about this last night. I, I led a, my goddess gathering workshop last night uh-huh. and I was saying that we modern pagans love to give things correspondences yes you know and okay so it's this thing but in this very far-fetched remote thing they mentioned blue so now it's going to be associated with blue and we'll give it this association and we'll right it. and a part of me thinks okay we're being ridiculous but I also kind of like it uh-huh. you know we want things to have extra magic and extra juju uh-huh. and extra interesting things and uh-huh. symbols and colors and right fun right humans are adorable we are I think I am, so we are. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's just I found it interesting because whatever we want to add to it, yeah, you know, it is it is it enhances it. So obviously, the correspondences are very much one of the things that adds to it because right. then we can go, oh, we can add this and we can add that, and right. it's over here and it's over there, and you know, we enhance it. And I think we have to give some, I don't know if the word is kudos, but uh, we do have Aleister Crowley to thank for the massive Mm -hmm. tables of correspondences that he put together and people have subsequently, in one form or another, versioned off of. Yeah. So, you know, again, I... And the Internet is an amazing resource for correspondences and Mm -hmm. whatnot. You have to take it all with a grain of salt. And I really do believe in, in testing out some of the things that you may see online and, uh-huh. and do some double-checking and cross-referencing because there is a, a, quite a bit of bullshit out there. But, oh, yeah. You know. I mean, everybody it works, it works. has an opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's how we have to look at it. And if we're trying to be really, really um, strict, uh, we need to go out into the middle of nowhere and have a few days without our conveniences, phones or otherwise, and start really feeling what it's like. And that, again, is what in the modern world we call, because of the Native traditions, vision questing. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to really get in touch with the process, you got to get rid of the trappings right. to some point right. of reference. Get to the root of the energetic. Right. Yeah. So, But I, you know, I'm not that... Um, adventuresome, eh. but then again, a lot of work. Not not anymore, at least <laughs> I did. 
so wanted to mention the May bush because this cracks me up. Okay, she's got the May bush. May bush. So we talked about going out and collecting a tree like you do. At mm-hmm. Apparently, I I had never heard about this before, but apparently it's it's a thing to get a May bush and it's Irish and it it was supposedly done up into the 1800s. Mm-hmm. I I don't know if any of this is true, but it's interesting. Specifically, <laughs> it was a very small tree, mm-hmm. a, a bush, right? Mm-hmm. A hawthorn, a row, and a sycamore, something like that, and it would be decorated with mm-hmm. with uh, ribbons and bright flowers, mm-hmm. and you know the same concept of what you would do at the winter solstice, and then it would be paraded outside and put someplace for the community. Mm-hmm. So this was a, a way for the community come, to come out, and supposedly different neighborhoods, because mm-hmm. you know if you think in the 1800s, right, different. Communities, different blocks of, right. uh, in the cities. In the cities, yeah, the cities. They would compete against each other for who had the most handsome bush. Oh, <laughs> unintended. I, I know that. Yeah. <laughs> um, they would often compete and steal bushes from each other's neighborhood. Oh my goodness! And then during the Victorian times, they were outlawed. <laughs> I wonder why. Right. Mm-hmm. And I've been learning a lot about Queen Victoria and how some of her interesting things really changed the way mm-hmm. we are modernly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, the, the May bush, and then it was burnt, right? Then you would mm-hmm. have your, your bale fire, your May Day fire, and the May bush would be part of what was, was burnt as an offering to to the holiday, to the celebration. The celebration. Wow. Yeah, and then everyone would bring some of that ash from the fire home. Well, I could hang them with the ash. The bush, you know, okay. I mean, it's, again, a community, as, because you're in a city, you become disconnected from the fields and all the other stuff in the country. And so it becomes sort of a, a point of reference. And, again, it's a morphing right. of a tradition, of right. a celebration to fit where you are. Well, and this one historian who wrote about this May Bush thing, mm-hmm. um, Emmer Evans, believes that this is actually something that originated in England mm-hmm. and then moved to Ireland, and then for some reason it it lasted longer in Ireland. And mm-hmm. the reason he believes that is because in Ireland it, it was actually considered unlucky to cut certain types of trees down. Yes. And it's specifically the hawthorn, the rowan, and the mm-hmm. sycamore, some of the trees that would have been considered sacred, right, that you would not have cut down. Right, right. But then again, we can think about this is the sacrifice or the time of the year and love right. and all right. d- diving more into that whole idea. Right. But who knows? Well, it's interesting you actually talk about that because there are a couple of taboos that are lifted, and it's one of them is actually the breaking of the hawthorn or the cutting of the hawthorn and bringing it into the house, right? So, or bringing it from where it's at normally. And the other one is hunting the hare is lifted. So I'm not sure if they went hare hunting, i.e. rabbit, right? not hair on one's head, right? or the bush on another. Right. Ah, <laughs> uh, the Beltane puns. Never I know. Well, old. we're trying. We're trying to keep this, you know, got a more modern version of us chit-chatting away. The other thing, of course, is the, the May Queen and May King. Right. And what I found interesting is when I was reading, they were talking about it as they would wind up literally getting on their horses and riding off with the, the, the you know, the people and all of that going off to celebrate the the holiday. But they were a May queen and a May king. And, of course, this goes back to the queen being the representation of the goddess. Right. And all kings had to mate with the queen, right. which was the goddess, who was the representation of sovereignty. Right. She represented the land. The land. And he must marry the land. Marry the land. Yeah. So that whole celebratory thing changed into a more um, ceremony of decorum. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you get the, the the concepts of where, obviously, we now know from Camelot, the idea of going out with the horses and the, the knights and the, the ladies and going off and, you know, whatever. They tried to not make a lot of bit about that, but, you know, probably singing songs to them and doing sure. things like that because they didn't do those other things. Right, no, there was no smooching. No or, smooching. It was always just No that. holding hands. No. That no, no. Taboo. No. Of course, you know. I keep thinking of Richard Harris and 
Julie Andrews singing, you know, Camelot and the lusty months of May and all that. So that tells you where my <laughs> some of my background comes from is theater. But uh, so yeah, I think that that is that gives you a big a big chunk of May. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Walpurgisnacht. Oh, good. And then we probably have to go because I know like five minutes. I okay. Know. So Walpurgisnacht in my very professional German accent. Oh, there. On April 30th, but mm-hmm. April 30th, May 1st, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. But this comes from um, the Dutch countries and the German countries, mm-hmm. more of that uh, Germanic mm-hmm. uh, background. Mm-hmm. And it likely has older connections, just like Beltane from mm-hmm. the Celts do, because the celebration didn't just spring up in the 800s. Right. But it's believed to have originations from a saint. Ooh. Um, where did her name go? I lost it. Saint Walperga. Right. Uh, and her feast is on May first. Mm-hmm. And that was in she was alive in the seven hundreds, right? Mm-hmm. So her celebration for her as a saint that you dance, you sing, you tie ribbons, you make crowns of flowers. Mm-hmm. And the celebration was considered the celebration with witches. Ooh. Where it was okay to celebrate being a witch mm. there's something i mean, i didn't know any of this before right, my no. research so i'm going to look more into saint walperga right very curious about, yes about her background now uh, especially because we have a bit of a germanic mm-hmm. ancestry mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh, so very interesting we have this more european centered right. celebration that looks exactly like the celtic celebration right but it's given a saintly Name. A name. Well, it's also given the saintly stamp right. of approval right. from the more Christian church base. Right. We can't get you heathen pagan folk to stop going off on May 1st and humping in the woods. So we're going to say this is what we do. Right. And obviously in the 7th century there were bishops running around talking about how this is, you know, protect yourself from flying witches and all yeah. the things that were possible. So that kind of makes me feel better yeah, <laughs> and more positive about the more ancient tradition. Right. So, and on that level, Yay. we are almost through our, our radio show. Yeah. Another, another, another show. show comes to a close. Yes. Yeah. Well, next week we will be doing... Animal allies. Animal, animal, animal allies. <laughs> and you're likely to hear us go off on tangents about cultural appropriation. Yes, we are definitely working ourselves up on that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> be good. It should be fun. We should also plug, remember, an uh, upcoming episode, we will do another segment of Ask a Witch. Yes. So if you have a question that you would like us to banter about, if you'd like us to do a reading on a situation that you mm-hmm. are working through, mm-hmm. go to our website, mm-hmm. com, and there's a page to fill out your information so that we can answer your question on the show mm-hmm. or do a reading for you on the show. And the Hoodoo Heritage Festival is only a couple of weeks away. Oh, my God. I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Hoodoo Heritage Festival is... May 13th and 14th in Forestville, California, mm-hmm. at the Lucky Mojo Grounds. Yes. It's going to be a hoot. It shall be. And with that, with that, we send next week. blessings. Beltane away. Yay. Yay. Thank you for listening to The Witch, The Priestess, and The Cauldron, a radio podcast on the LMC Radio Network. Our podcast airs live every Friday at 6 p.m. Pacific and will be available for download. Questions or comments on this show or ideas for upcoming shows can be sent to our website, and that's at www.witchpriestesscauldron.com. Again, that's witchpriestesscauldron.com. On behalf of Elvira, Phoenix, 
Alan, and myself, Gwion Raven, a big merry meet and merry part and merry meet again. Blessed be.